Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode of Desert Island Goals. Video links to all the goals we're going to discuss in this podcast are in the description below, as well as social media profiles for myself, the podcast itself, and our guest. Please take the time to follow us all right now. There is a good chance there will be some strong language at some point during this podcast, just letting you know that ahead of time. And please take the time right now to give us a five-star review on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Okay, welcome again to another edition of Desert Island Goals. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Callum Squires, and joining me this week is a very special guest. Thank you for taking the time to be here, Annie Lyons. Annie, thanks for being with us. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Really excited to uh, to chat with you. You have the somewhat inauspicious honour in the order that these episodes are being recorded of being the first British representative on this podcast. So uh, you've got you know a lot of pressure there, obviously. Annie, where are you from? Do you have a particular team that you support? And what are your kind of earliest memories of uh, becoming a football fan? I'm glad I'm the first British one. I'll try and be kind of adequately pessimistic throughout about football <laughs> uh, to match my Britishness. So I am from Nottingham. Uh, originally again adds some pessimism to the football until recently um, and I'm a Nottingham Forest fan I have been my whole life I think to varying degrees of engagement it's been a tough 25 years I don't remember the first two years when we were before the kind of 23 year drought of being in the Premier League yeah and I've always played football when I was sort of when I was about four uh, which I think is very rare for women but hopefully getting less and less rare yeah, and and have always been a player and and a lover of football and a big fan of women's football in all its forms. Yeah, so I'm actually old enough to remember knowing Forest in the Premier League back in the kind of 98-99 season. There's something about a club that has a unusual name that makes them more interesting, you know, straight away. You know, it's the Sheffield Wednesdays of the world, the Nottingham Forests of the world. There's something that you just kind of drawn to with that and I for some reason kind of had a soft spot just I, I don't know why you would name your team Forest obviously it makes sense in, in the area of the country but uh, it, it was such an intriguing concept and I think at the age I was at that stage you didn't really realise that a team would be relegated and not be back in the Premier League for kind of two decades and so obviously as we head into the new season here in in, in July and August of 2022. How excited are you for, for Nottingham Forest in the Premier League? Because it's, it's been a long time coming. I'm so excited. I, I just, I'm loving kind of the circus that comes with it. The like constant news alerts that, I mean, there were news alerts before, but this is, this is a new level. Um, signing Jesse Lingard, having Dean Henderson in goal. It's just, it is ridiculous. It's not kind of what I have experienced being a Forest fan to be like. And I mean, it, I don't think it started now. I think it started kind of the season leading up to it. Being a Forest fan feels fun and optimistic and great for kind of one of the first times in my life. Um, and then to be in the Premier League is it's pretty huge. And yeah, people always talk about us being a club with a big history, but I've never got to experience that. I, I kind of, you get to, you kind of joke about it and we have the stars on our shirts, but it's not what I associate being a Nottingham Forest fan. And I don't know if I ever really believed we'd get back there. And now we have, and it's going to be so interesting to see. And do you know what? It could go terribly. It could be an awful season. But every day that gets closer to the season, every signing we make, kind of every every time I look at the team, I think mm, we could we could just hang on, and it could be. And there'll definitely be kind of a few games this season where kind of excited and unexpected things happen. And yeah, I just can't wait. 
stranger things have happened for sure. And, you know, when you look at the, the Forest squad on paper, I, especially with the additions you mentioned of the Hendersons, the Lingards and, and the other guys that you brought in, I do think that generally there have been far worse teams in the Premier League who have managed to survive. And mm. certainly if Forest can really harness what will be, you know, a rampant home crowd after having so long to wait to be back in the Premier League and try and relive the glory days of Clough. And for people who, who don't know, you know, if you want to go and look up the history of Nottingham Forest, there is a lot of success there and a lot of very interesting stories to be told. I want to touch on, obviously, on, on the women's football aspect because that's that's a huge part of what you mentioned in your fandom as well. Um, and we are going to touch on some of those goals later on here, which is, which is great, and I'm really excited for that. I, I've been fortunate in spending a lot of time in America to kind of experience what I think is, you know, women's football at a really high level. And America, for a long time, has really done well in, thanks to their Title IX law about the equality and equity between men's and women's sport and the provision for it, has done a really good job of fostering, you know, successful and talented women's football players, as you've seen on the national scale, on the national scale with the success of the US women's national team. Obviously, this is a very wide-reaching question, but how do you feel about the current state of kind of women's football in the UK? Obviously, you're an active participant in, you know, playing and being involved in the game as a fan. How, how do you feel about where it is now compared to maybe, you know, five, six years ago? I think it's come on leaps and bounds, but I think there's a long way to go. And I think it's very easy always in women's football to think that we're the kind of the first ones to have experienced this like swelling of the game. But it happens periodically. There's been there has been moments throughout history where kind of big moments have happened and then and then the attention has been taken away. And each time the big moments get bigger. But I think it, it's important for each generation to remember that we're not the first ones kind of fighting this fight to, to popularise the game. And I think when I say that there's a long way to go, I think one of the main things is kind of taking a step back and looking at the goal, like the goal of where we want to get to. Because I think sometimes it's very easy to just want parity with the men's game. But I think I'm sure you'd agree with me that men's football is not perfect by a long way. <laughs> it's really a very imperfect space. And I don't want my game, which is how I feel about the women's game, to be like men's football. I would much rather have smaller crowds of people who care and are respectful um, and have fun and are inclusive uh, than to kind of mirror the the men's game or can afford to go for example or and and I I don't need my players to be getting paid as much as the men players and things like that so I think there's a long way to go um but I think we need to kind of steer the ship in in the right direction and 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 make sure that we're not kind of getting too big um getting too big in a way that means that it doesn't keep investing in kind of what's important and I, I mean I was very fortunate to grow up in Nottingham which was a real hub for women's football um, and I have a lot of friends that kind of played football at various levels growing up. Mary Earp, England goalkeeper, went to my school and played for my kind of grassroots club. Um, and it's a great example for, for women in Nottingham. When you leave Nottingham, you just find out that <laughs> the provision was so patchy. And I don't really have a handle on on what's going on around the world, for around the country for kind of younger girls now. Um, but I still think it's the same. I think provision is unbelievably patchy. It, there's a real problem with kind of, pitched basin in the cities and that kind of directly affects the diversity of academies and teams um I actually heard Emma Hayes speech once speak once and she's uh, the Chelsea manager and I heard her describe her own academy the Chelsea academy as like a um Surrey Land Rover club she was really unhappy with the diversity in her academy because it's out it's out just beyond in Surrey in southwest beyond southwest London you not many girls have have the ability to get there you need funding behind you because it's not as well funded as the men's game and 
we're seeing that with the whiteness of the of the England women's team at the moment and I think that's one of the real the real gaps and the real problems and the, the big stride that needs to be made is making sure that there is that provision in diverse areas of the country in cities and making sure that it's accessible because men's football is able to have that huge re- reach because there's that huge kind of machinery behind it to find the best players wherever they may be without that level of funding it's harder to do that women's football and fantastic footballers who deserve the opportunity to kind of have a kick about at whatever level are being missed and I think that's one of my that's one of my biggest kind of frustrations with the game at the moment but it's so great to see the Euros happening and seeing so many people get involved and definitely will not be taking that for granted. I couldn't agree more with absolutely everything you said. And yeah, certainly the inclusivity aspect is something that I think is missing in a lot of men's football around the world and especially, you know, exemplified by where the World Cup is in November. Um, Mm -hmm. And as much as, you know, I'd love to sit here and say that we won't all get swept up in World Cup fever, we will. But it is just, you know, sad to see that that's that's kind of where we are in the men's game in terms of inclusivity. And we're going to talk, we're going to very specifically end on the Euros because I want to make sure we get... (laughs) all of the encapsulation of what's what your experience so far this summer has been, because I know you've had some very special experiences as a fan in the Women's Euros this summer. Um, and, you know, we're recording this a few days before England's semi-final against Sweden. So I might have to put you to the test and ask you for a couple of predictions for the rest of the tournament as well. But as we carry on, in, in, in being a guest on this show, the deal is that you are going to put forward five goals um, that you would choose to rewatch relive if you could only have five for, for the rest of for the rest of time obviously there's lots of different ways you could go about picking those goals um, and so a key question to ask really is kind of what is what is a perfect goal to you is there such thing as a perfect goal do you have a particular type that you prefer over others is your list going to be filled with you know rapid counterattacks or shots from distance is it more of a, a mixture and uh, how difficult was it for you to kind of settle on a final five I've definitely gone for the ones that feel like moments. And I don't know how much attention I've played to the football itself. I think me and a few of my friends sometimes talk about how we're fans based on vibes alone. <laughs> um, and as much as I love football, technically, it's it's all about the moments and the memories that come alongside them. I think that's kind of the, that's the primary thing that's dictated it. I think if I'm kind of setting anything aside, my favourite kind of goal, and I haven't got one of these in here, is obviously. And if anyone says that this isn't their favourite kind of goal, then they they are lying um, and that's when a goalkeeper comes up in the final minutes when it's a draw um Allison's one for example that is the best kind of goal in football <laughs> I won't hear it no it's just that anything else is a wrong answer um and I did just before you called being like why well, didn't I put Allison's in there but I don't I don't need to give Liverpool any more airtime um also just like I'm a centre-back if a centre-back scores I'm becoming such a big fan of Millie Bright in the in the England team just the the sub against um in Spain the other day where because it was absolutely inspired. Daily off, Greenwood on, Millie Bright at centre forward. Like <laughs> that is to me is taking your big stocky bullet header um, centre back and putting them up front to cause havoc. That if she'd scored then, that probably would have made my list. Um, so yeah, any any kind of centre back or or goalkeeper flying in to save the day, that would probably be my favourite kind of goal. Technically, is it the emotion around the goal itself that really makes them stand out above others? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The mo- the emotion or like the, the the day that came with it as well, or the kind of people I shared it with or the, the experience that I had. Uh, quite often it's the sense of relief um, <laughs> that, that yeah. 
come through because I think I think sport is just kind of manufactured moments of tension, right? It's just you you get really tense, 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 and then you finally get a release of tension because because finally your team scored or or your team's got a wicket if you're watching cricket, for example. And I think that's kind of the most beautiful goals is when they, that that tension has been allowed to build so much. And there's a few of them in there that that kind of speak to that. And there's just no better feeling, is there? No, there isn't. And, you know, basically everything you just described is why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is to hear the stories from fans around the world of what makes them tick and what brings them the joy and passion uh, in this game we all love. Perfect. Ronaldinho takes and David Seaman's call off his line and Brazil take the lead. Ronaldinho has scored. David Seaman is caught cold. A surprise, surprise goal from the Brazilians. A rueful moment for Seaman. And England must come from behind somehow. Uh, we're going to go straight into your first goal here. And this was one that I was pleasantly surprised to see on your list. But surprise being the, mm-hmm. key, the key element here. And we'll go into exactly why. So we're going to start with... Ronaldinho, by all means, an absolute genius of a player. Uh, And this is Brazil against England in the World Cup quarterfinals in 2002, the Japan and South Korea World Cup, that I think for many people in our age bracket was the first one they could really properly remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got glimmers of 1998, but not enough to really tell a story about. But this one I remember vividly, and I remember crying in my school hall after this went in. And the eventual England loss. So talk us through this, Annie. Why why did this one make your list and what are your memories of this goal? Yeah, so I think this is my Britishness coming through. And I think that's me thinking, if you're gonna if you're gonna narrow down five goals from football, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. And I think this is probably my earliest football memory. And it's one of those ones where it is, it's the experience around it that I remember more than anything, because I'm born in nineteen ninety six, so I was six years old. Um and I think it's just the if the fact that this is my first football memory, I think is so fitting as I'm, I'm a Forest fan. I support England. If Wales, my dad's Welsh, so if Wales are a major tournament, I also I also love following them. It was a good way to set the tone, I think. <laughs> um, at this, moment. this is when I learned that what kind of what football is about. That you can have this whole event, you can have your whole school in a school hall, which is I think a real common experience for a lot of a lot of a lot of English people. Getting into that school hall, I really remember uh, Scotch pancakes. I remember my mum bringing Scotch pancakes and maple syrup, and we've got a photo of me and my two sisters. My surname is Lyons, so the three Lyonses lined up in our kind of little England kit. I had the kit. I had the replica kit because I'm the favourite child. And um, my sister had a cute little supermarket bought T-shirt with her school skirt and school shoes. It's just, it's adorable. Getting all of that build up, the photo being taken, and then that girl goes in and (laughs) that's it. (laughs) And um, I think I probably at the time, but I'm really proud of myself as a a kid that that didn't put me off football because I'm sure it did for a few. But yeah, I think what a good way to to set the tone as a football fan of having to le- having to learn that there could be all of that could be all of that build up and then one one fantastic free kick and it's all over. You got speaking nothing but truth here. Um, yeah, this this one was really hard for me to take. So you were six, so I was eight, going on nine, and. You're at that age where, yeah, if I believe England will win, 
England will win was the logic before you really understood that, you know, there might just be a better team than you out there. And I think undoubtedly this 2002 Brazil team was the best team in the world in that tournament. There was no shadow of a doubt whatsoever. But getting 1-0 up, and, you know, in, 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 in researching for this, obviously went back and rewatched the highlights. And yeah. There were little things that I'd kind of forgotten here or there. You know, Lucio makes a mistake. Michael Owen puts England 1-0 up very early. I vividly remember celebrating that goal in our school hall. As, mm-hmm. as you were saying, you know, we had it on a projector screen. I think it was like a 7.30 a.m. kickoff because we watched the game and then went to school that day. And that, yeah. this is how I remember it because I was miserable all day that we'd watched the football. It had gone the wrong way and then I had to do a whole day of school as well. Rivaldo scores an incredible equaliser set up by the aforementioned Ronaldinho. And then this famous moment, Ronaldinho chips David Seaman with a free kick that... I've heard people online suggest, oh, if it was anybody else, I'd say he didn't mean it, but this is Ronaldinho. But did he, do we really think he meant it, Annie? Do we really think he meant it? I am a football romantic. And <laughs> I always choose to believe that they meant it. <laughs> Unless it's one of my teammates, and then I will rib them to yeah. the end of time that they didn't mean it. I don't, I, one that was on, in for consideration was Jack Colback for Forrest scored an unbelievable goal this season that was uh, like, did he mean it? situation and I remember Steve Cooper the manager just being like well Jack's an honest guy <laughs> and I just love that and did he mean it I mean we'll never know no no we won't and I, it's one of those where I, I don't I still don't think I've ever forgiven David Seaman not that it was really his fault but you know you, you make a scapegoat in your head don't you um, yeah. but no it, it was an incredible piece of skill and you know the way he hits it the reason why I in in the inner truth of myself have to lean towards he did mean it is that Ronaldinho could put a football anywhere he wanted it. And if he was going to cross like everybody expected him to, ending it up in the back of the net is so far away from where he would have been aiming that I kind of can't believe he hit the ball so badly that it went in by accident. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean. it's, it's so hard to see Ronaldinho making that kind of technical error because he was just, you know, an absolute genius. Do you, do you have any sort of kind of affinity to Ronaldinho, the player himself, or kind of the Brazilians as a whole? Is that something that you kind of, I guess, admire as, from afar as an English football fan? Yeah, I remember as a kid being being very kind of enamoured by the way they played. I find it really funny now, whenever you watch clips of current pros and they're asked kind of who who who's your favourite player, past or present, they always say Ronaldinho. And I think that's really interesting. I've never been... A very a particularly tricksy player myself, <laughs> and so <Me> neither. <laughs> as a as a kind of as a grown up, that's not what I would go to. To kind of I like watching. It's very boring. I like watching teams that play in interesting shapes. I like watching. I, like, I find it very satisfying when I see a centre back just kind of make their positioning perfect so they can just intercept the ball. Boring stuff, but yeah, I mean, it had so much magic around it that that team didn't it? And I think I had I had that Brazil shirt when I was a kid. Wish I still had it. And it was kind of what was kind of what was exciting about football at the time, wasn't it? And I think I think the world has missed that kind of Brazilian or even South American team that to kind of pull kind of the European hegemony like away and make football a little bit more global and exciting. And I, I kind of hope kind of hope some team comes through in the World Cup this year and surprises us and, and then makes everything a little bit less European. But I think with, you know, with Brazil and Argentina, there's always a chance. Uruguay had that incredible run in 2010, I want to say. There's always going to be those challenges from the South Americans. But with Ronaldinho specifically, I just think with how popular 
players like Neymar became through YouTube and through Twitter and through Instagram and those sorts of things. I don't think anybody has, I guess, missed out of media coverage as much as Ronaldinho did in his prime just because social media didn't exist. And it's not necessarily something that, you know, would be a good thing or whatever, but I just, I can't imagine how many vines or Instagram reels or Snapchat Mm. stories would have just been Ronaldinho centric if social media had kind of been around in that 2002 to 2008 range when he was kind of at the peak of his powers. Oh yeah. And then when you see the the stats about Neymar being kind of like, I think he's, he's in the top five global influencers, him and Ronaldo, aren't they? In terms of kind of follows and interest. If you imagine if Ronaldinho was in this era, it'd be ridiculous. (laughs) Beyond ridiculous. But then I always just think when a player gets like, gets raised up to that level, any person gets raised up to that level, it's, I don't think it's ever a good thing. So I quite like, I think that's part of the kind of nostalgia for that era is that, I mean, these were huge superstars, but without the kind of social media engagement it is the, the character of it feels kind of different and that's me speaking as someone who was six years old at this time and I could be completely wrong <laughs> but that's how I no, got no, I, I, I think there's a charm to Ronaldinho in in the fact that he what he is that player that all of the guys playing now look up to and say he was the one you wanted to watch on tv he was the one you wanted to tune in for because when the ball was at his feet you, you never knew what was going to happen I mean I saw him tear you know Jose Mourinho's Chelsea apart and you just couldn't fathom that because nobody in the Premier League at that time could lay a glove on Chelsea mm-hmm. and Ronaldinho was just dancing around them and I mean you know if you're the kind of player who can go to the Bernabeu in El Clasico and get a standing ovation from the Real Madrid fans there's there's something special there for sure okay so just yeah so just lastly on this goal obviously the one thing that really surprised me when I actually looked this up that I'd completely forgotten is that seven minutes after he scores Ronaldinho got sent off in this game which I had completely blanked from my mind. And I've now, now I'm even more upset that England didn't find a way to equalise because we played against 10 men for half an hour, which <laughs> baffles me still with the amount of talent we had in that 2002 team that we couldn't find a goal. Danny Mills getting his first and probably only mention on this podcast uh, got a studs-up tackle from Ronaldinho and he was sent off. Uh, but he was back in time. I think it was just a one-game suspension. He was back for the final, which Brazil did win, kind of gaining a bit of a... Revenge, shall we say, for their 1998 defeat to France. Is is there a part of kind of the joy of this goal that it does lead to a World Cup winning campaign? Is there any is there any sense that like maybe it wouldn't be quite as special if they'd have lost in the semi final? Yeah, I think it's it's part of the like again, it's the, the the legend of this team. So often you have teams that are fantastic and don't get what they deserve because tournament football is what tournament, tournament football is. What better teams get beaten by than than that? than that team with all the kind of the magic that comes around it for my own kind of nostalgia, I guess. And it's all part of it that he got sent off with a big smile on his face. Um, and I think I think also that kind of, when you were talking about the half an hour, half an hour of them, us not scoring with Eric 10 men, that's part of that feeling that I remember of, surely, like, surely we'll just be able to do this. Like, surely. And I've felt that so many times since. Um, just sat in a football stands or sat watching telly, like, oh, right, okay, yeah, this has gone bad, but sh- like, surely we should just be able to score. And um, I've been, I was feeling this recently because I went to England, Norway in the, in the Euros and obviously England scored eight goals. And I remember going to a, a game subsequent to that and being like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be this hard to score a goal. <laughs> I was watching Germany, Spain and both fantastic teams really struggling to get one past each other. And I was like, yeah, it's so difficult. And like most times it only happens maybe twice, maybe three times, sometimes not at all. 
yeah, you've got half an hour, even with 10 men. It, it's so difficult. And that's, I think, part of that tension. Chelsea keep pushing here, looking for a winner. Backman. Torres Dotter, who's had a go. And there it is, 2-1. Just minutes left on the clock. And Maria Torres Dottier scores only her second ever goal for Chelsea. She might not score a more important one. Backman with the build-up play. And Torres Dottier with a brilliant finish. Um, great, OK. That's one down. Ronaldinho has made both of us cry. Um, we'll move <laughs> on to hopefully something slightly happier. When we're headed to the WSL, and this Ooh. is Mar Maria Torres Dottier with her late winner for Chelsea against Arsenal. This is October of 2019. Um, Arsenal, up to this point in the WSL season, had started unbeaten and took the lead from Danielle van der Donk uh, before Bethany England, who is obviously part of this England women's squad this summer in the Euros, equalised. And Torres Dottier scores the winner with about five minutes left. A lovely finish. Um, Annie, talk me through why this was one of your selections. Yeah, so I think this was this was the first WSL match I had ever seen in person. It was my first trip to Kings Meadow. And being a Nottingham Forest fan of the men's game, I was sort of a bit homeless when it came to a WSL team. And I really didn't want to be a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> I really didn't. Um, but I went to this game because I was doing a, a kind of night course in women's sports journalism. And we went to that game as kind of course mates to kind of practice reporting on a game from the stands. And it was my first WSL match. I think till that point, I've always kind of checked the scores, tried to keep up with it. But it was just because it, did, it didn't have that platform. It was quite hard to keep up with WSL. And I'd always, I was a big fan of kind of England and tournament football and women's football from a kind of international perspective. But this was me. I was My interest in the WSL was really ramping up at this point. And I was thinking, oh, I've got so many friends who are Arsenal fans. And they're all so annoying. <laughs> so I don't want to be an Arsenal fan. I definitely don't want to be a Chelsea fan. Being an Everton fan would probably be the honourable thing, but I'm suffering enough being a Forest fan. So I just, I was really, I was homeless, but I just kept getting drawn back to Chelsea. And I think this goal sealed it for me. More than being a Chelsea fan, I'm a huge Emma Hayes fan. I think she is doing so much in the women's game. She is just kind of speaks fantastically, fantastic mind, and seems to have fantastic player management. And this goal was scored by, scored and assisted by a substitute. And I think one thing that's always commented on with Emma Hayes is she has this massive, this big squad of great players, great international players, and somehow manages to keep them mostly happy and competing for spots when they could be going elsewhere. They could, there's plenty of teams that need stars in the WSL because there is quite a disparity in level, but yet they stay and they work for their position in the team. Ramona Backman did leave later this season who assisted the goal, um, and, and Maria torres eventually did too. But if you think about if you think about the fact that they've kind of been pushed out the squad and the quality of player that they are it just yeah it I just thought it was fantastic and again what better what what better moment than a kind of a late a late winner and I think because of where the WSL is in terms of it kind of really lacking that kind of competition throughout the league I mean I, I say that I think it's better than most of the leagues in most, most of the other leagues in Europe uh in terms of competitiveness but it's still it is still the case that there are certain must-win games that kind of the championship will kind of hinge on. And Arsenal-Chelsea is the biggest of those. Chelsea had had a pretty poor season the season before. And this was a moment that turned it around for them. And it was the moment that captured my heart. I think Emma Hayes has, you know, proven her success at, at Chelsea. You know, she's she's an incredible manager and what she's done there has, speaks for itself. And I, I like what you're saying about the, I guess, the, 
the disparity within each of these women's leagues around Europe, because there are, you know, perennial powerhouses in each of these leagues that always seem to be contesting the Women's Champions League final, the later stages of the Women's Champions League. You know, you look at how, how Barcelona run away with the Spanish Women's League. You know, the quality that they have is, is just incredible. I think it speaks for itself that Barcelona have, you know, the highest record attendances in, in the new Camp. For, the, for their women's team, which is, which is fantastic. And I, I enjoy what you say about not wanting to be a Chelsea fan, but obviously going to this game, being a North London derby, and like you said, Chelsea against Arsenal, two of the most successful women's teams in the UK. Arsenal, as far as I can remember, from growing up in North London, it was always Arsenal women, Arsenal women, Arsenal women. And obviously Chelsea have had success in kind of the more recent decade or so. Manchester City, obviously, with the amount of money that they've got in their club, is there a juxtaposition of the success that you get with Chelsea women that kind of makes it more special considering the hypothetical perceived lack of success with Forest in England? Because, for example, in, in kind of the reverse, I was a fairly successful football fan growing up as a teenager. And when I got into the NFL, I picked a very unsuccessful team to kind of balance that out. And so I guess for you, it's kind of the reverse and the, the ability to actually cheer a very successful team on for a while. Yeah, I think it's how I justified it to myself more than anything. I think um, I just I did feel, like fall in love with this team, and I'm at the stage where I don't feel anything as deep for them as I would ever feel for Forest. To be honest, sure. Like I still quite often will watch games where Chelsea play, and if a team is like three 0 up, and you're and you're a neutral, and you want the other team to score one back to make it interesting, I'll still sometimes feel a bit like that with Chelsea. But yeah, it was definitely how I justified it to myself that I um, that I really. But I was it was okay to be a Chelsea fan because look, you're not getting this success at Forest. You might as well enjoy watching a winning team. And 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 it's interesting kind of what you say about, about Barcelona because Chelsea are by no means dominant in in England, but they, they have been the strongest team for the last few seasons, I'd say. And they come up against Barcelona, for example, the Champions League final a couple of years ago, and they just get torn apart. <laughs> and and it's it's so interesting. It's that kind of unpredictability in women's football because all of the everyone's at really different growth stages it hasn't had that time to kind of that long-term investment for everything to settle down and even out it's probably a bit of a cliche but as long as kind of women's football is winning I'm, I'm quite happy um I was actually at one of those the first of the record attendance games and as you were saying that I was thinking well why didn't I pick one of those goals <laughs> um <laughs> the kind of Barcelona Real Madrid game and there were so many goals but I actually think that the biggest moment in that that game wasn't any of the goals wasn't celebrating any of the goals because again I was a bit of a neutral uh, I kind of wanted Real Madrid at first because they were the underdog and then I'm actually really enjoying all the Barcelona fans so I was a bit I was flip-flopping a bit but the biggest moment is when they flashed the attendance up on the screen and you could see that what 91,000 or whatever it was and you're looking around you and you're seeing kind of five-year-old girls looking at that and thinking that it's completely normal to see a stadium so full of people watching women play and and what really struck me is I kind of thought it'd be a lot of kind of Barcelona fans in general who just kind of wanted an opportunity to, to go to the stadium and, and kind of have the occasion but weren't really fans of the team but they were singing the players names they knew they were fans of, the, of this team specifically and it was a real it was a real special moment and I really hope that kind of the right investment the right marketing as well can go into kind of the WSL in the next few seasons so that we can have those moments here and and, and, and in all the leagues across Europe. Well so this was kind of my follow-up question you've kind of pre-answered it there because it's, it's a very valid point is we've already spoken about kind of how you see the game kind of to a fullest extent in the UK but specifically with the WSL in terms of taking it to the next level I think obviously the 
I think I'm right in saying, you know, the the increased amount of games that are on TV in the UK, I think is huge. And I think that's hugely positive and impactful. But as, as far as you're concerned, how does the WSL kind of get to the next stage of where it needs to be, where they can challenge, where the teams in the WSL can challenge the Barcelonas, the Leons, the Wolfsburgs in the Champions League and, and be able to really create the WSL to be the best league in the world like the Premier League is in the men's game? Is there anything specific? And I think, you know, for me, something that kind of drives me crazy is the difference in the stadiums that, that the games are being played at. I, I appreciate maybe that the average attendance of a Man United women's game is not going to be as high as a Man United men's game, but I don't really understand why they couldn't play those games at Old Trafford as well. Or am yeah. I crazy? I think, so on the stadiums, it's a, tr- a tricky one because I've been to, when they do kind of as a showcase, put them on in the men's stadium, or the atmosphere is a bit pants because you've got, top 10,000, 20,000 people in, in, in that huge space. I think it's better to have a full stadium of whatever size and not have empty seats. But I don't think that the answer to that is don't put it in the men's stadiums. It's start yeah. raising the profile of the game, start pushing this to the kind of right people. Because I just think there are enough people in Manchester. And I think we've seen this with the Euros, with the opening game and things like that. With the right occasion and the right push behind it, you'll get people interested, especially when you look at kind of how prohibitively priced it is to go to a men's game in most of these stadiums. There's definitely people who would love to access football in a big stadium, have that big occasion who aren't being offered it. But I think it is really tricky because also it's not just about what the stadium is, it's where it is. I think Man United play at Lee Sports Village or whatever it's called. And it's just in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And that is also really difficult. Like if you don't have easily accessible stadiums, you're not going to get as many people there. Um, And it's the same same with somewhere like King's Meadow, Meadow that is quite far out. It's great for the community in the local area, and I think that is fantastic. But there is a bit of a, a balancing act between kind of pulling in broader fans of the club by being well-situated, but also kind of investing in a kind of a slightly different community that isn't close to Stamford Bridge. So I kind of, I'm in two minds about the putting it in men's stadium, in the kind of main stadiums, because, I, for example, I went to the North London Derby this year at the Emirates, and it was just, it was empty and, it, and it, it was still a good occasion, but it wasn't quite good enough. I think they just need to be kind of playing, gradually playing in, in, in bigger grounds, I think. And they've done it really well in the Euros this year. I was sceptical when I saw the grounds at first. I think the way they're kind of located around the country isn't good enough. There's no football in the northeast, which is like the home of women's football. So many of our team are from, are from Sunderland, for example. And there's none of the Midlands, which is outrageous, obviously, <laughs> as, as someone from Nottingham. But putting it in Brentford Stadium, putting it in the Amex, these kind of big stadiums with good facilities, um, maybe not fantastic history, but good facilities, but not huge, that can be filled, has meant the atmosphere has been really great for a for women's football tournament. And, 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 and that's brilliant. I think in terms of the WSL kind of meeting the level of Barcelona, of Leon, I think it's a real draw of the WSL that it is that that bit more competitive. There are more chances that the big clubs can split up, um, can slip up. I think where somewhere like Chelsea can catch up with Barcelona, and it will just happen with time, is I think a lot of the current Barcelona players are Barcelona Academy graduates. They've come through the Cruyff Academy, they've they've learnt that style of football, and they play in that way. And that just comes with time. And I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of them have been <laughs> bought for bought for good money as well, but. I think that is something that kind of long-term investment in, 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 in academies and bringing players through will be, will be huge for that. I mean, we also saw this year Barcelona getting absolutely stunned by Lyon. And that's, again, another story of 
long-term investment they have been the best for so long and they've got the investment that comes with that and they've got the fantastic players that come with that too um so it annoyingly is just time because <laughs> you can you can buy the best players in but that's just kind of producing the quality of another league so it's making sure that the frequency of those go- good players coming graduating out of academies increases and increases and and the game will will increase in quality alongside that Sorich in behind Bashan. Johnson's up there with it. It's Brennan Johnson! The city ground roars like it hasn't roared in years. Okay, so goal number three up next. And we finally have a Nottingham Forest goal, which is great to see. Nice to have this one on the list. And obviously, this is a relatively recent one, being Brennan Johnson for Nottingham Forest against Sheffield United in the Championship Playoff semi-final second leg of 2022. Uh, a wonderful counter-attack. Annie, talk us through your memories and, and feelings to do with this goal, and then we'll we'll break it down from there. Yeah, so I was... I was at this game and I was here on my own, there on my own, because I was obviously just a mad scramble for tickets and my sister got locked out of the ticketing portal, couldn't get my dad in. So I don't think I'd ever been to a men's football match on my own before. I was right at the back of the stand with what felt like other people that had done a similar thing, just like desperately wanting tickets, got them in the worst place and were kind of there by themselves or whatever. Everyone was so confident, which is kind of crazy. Um, everyone was so confident going into this game that we were... All we had to do was hang on to our lead from the last game. We were great in the last game. We should have taken more chances. Uh, like kind of the scoreline probably didn't didn't reflect how good the game was. And so, sorry, just to clarify, the first leg Nottingham Forest won two one away at Sheffield United, and the second leg, obviously, please carry on, Annie. Yeah, and and then this goal went in. I can't remember the minute. Um, I think it was it was a really nice ball. I think maybe from Scott McKenna, who was definitely one of the centre backs up to Sam Sturridge, who had two defenders on him, squared it really well, and Brennan Johnson does just fantastically well to slide in and, and, and poach it. And obviously, the whole stadium thought, that's it, we're going to Wembley. And it was the greatest feeling. That's, it wasn't quite as simple as that. The tension in the stadium of like this nervous, like, wait, wait, we should, we should be we should be confident about this, right? Yeah, the whole way leading up to this goal and that just erupted and it was a party. Everyone's singing about going to Wembley. It was incredible. And yeah, it was just kind of the moment that I wanted to pick from this sort of fantastic, fantastic, um, fantastic run that has led to us being in the Premier League. I couldn't pick a goal from the final because the goal at the final was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. So so yeah, as far as this goal goes, I I was watching this game live um on ESPN plus in the US actually watching this game live and yeah you're right it goes one nil and three one on aggregate and I was like well okay Forest on their way to Wembley I I didn't see Sheffield United finding a way to come back and I think what's interesting about your selection of this goal is obviously technically Nottingham Forest lost this game yeah because Sheffield United scored twice it finished 2-1 to them and went two extra time at 3-3 and eventually all the way to penalties. Now, obviously, we know that the favourable outcome of the penalties was good for you guys. But is there is there any part of it that's soured by the fact that it wasn't the winning goal? I mean, clearly not. You still selected it. But I, I just find it interesting that, obviously, that moment, even in an eventual loss and then win, 
this is still the moment that you chose. Yeah, one of the reasons I picked it is because we didn't deserve this goal. <laughs> we were bad <laughs> in that game. We were really bad. We were shaky, rattled, like the occasion got to the players. And you can see why. Like any playoff game is bad. <laughs> the football is always pretty bad because it's just so much expectation. And I think that's why I, I picked it because the whole way to Wembley this game and the final it just felt like there was an invisible hand moving us into the Premier League because we weren't good um we weren't bad and but we weren't as good as we had been all season and there a lot of luck went our way in the final Huddersfield had two pretty decent penalty shouts our goal was pretty pants it it just but it just happened and it, it just kept happening um and again yeah in this in this game we were shaky we were so lucky not to concede more. We weren't lucky. We had Bree Samba in goal being an absolute god and making really important saves. And then also, I think, yes, it was a loss, but it gave what was the the greatest moment of my Forest supporting career, which is those penalties. And I kind of almost wanted to, wanted to request that I have not a goal, but a save as one of mine, um, which is Bree Samba standing in the middle of the goal as a penalty is fired at him and just staying still and reaching a hand out to block it. It was unbelievable. And so this goal, this goal gave us those penalties. And they were unbelievable. So it's funny you say that because kind of the only rule that I've put forward so far on this whole kind of selection process is the only thing that is not permissible is anything in a penalty shootout because technically it's not part of the actual live game, if that makes sense. Mm. No, Nobody has yet asked to have a penalty shootout penalty and nobody's picked a penalty specifically yet. I wonder if that will happen because obviously penalties can be massively influential and we've seen how many late penalties win games at times. But obviously it's a very specific skill set and a very closed moment, if that makes sense. There's there's not a whole lot of randomness to it. It's, it's a one-on-one match between a, a keeper and a, and a taker. So I'm really intrigued to see if a penalty goes on there. So obviously, Bree Samba saves the penalty and that's kind of how this game finishes with the penalty shootout. But to scoot back to the goal itself, as you said, you know, Sam Surridge's uh, ball across and Brennan Johnson's sliding finish. The thing that I love most about this is he is fully, you know, he is flat out flying to try and reach the ball. And there's something about a sliding finish that is just incredibly cool. And then coupled with the fact that it, A, hits the very top corner of the net, and B, the sound that erupts, that you described yourself, but the sound that erupts, the sound that that ground makes. And what's even more beautiful is it just so happens that the camera angle that the goal is scored at basically shows the goal and the Sheffield United fans and no Forest fans. So you get the noise and you know what what else is what's happening everywhere else, but all you really see is kind of a group of standing still dejected Sheffield United fans, while Brennan Johnson shushes them, which, you know, I, I love a bit of a wind-up to the away fans as well. The noise that they make as he hits his knee slide and celebrates is just simply incredible. So, yeah, I mean, take, take us inside that moment in the ground because it, it, it looks like it was absolutely incredible to, to be there live. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there was this incredible energy around the ground because people were kind of confident and that is a rare feeling for a Forest fan. So everyone was a bit sheepish, a bit kind of like, oh, I think we can, I think we can do, I think we can do this. But it was still so on edge. And we were so, and like I said, we weren't playing well. We were giving the ball away too easily. It was just not settling down at all. 
And so it was just the biggest sigh of relief. And then obviously Brennan Johnson, he he is the son of David Johnson, who who's kind of a bit of a forest legend. As much as we've been able to have legends in the last twenty three years, which is maybe a disrespectful thing to say, but <laughs> he was kind of one of the first one of the first forest players that I was a fan of. He has kind of repeatedly rejected offers from or reject, offers have been rejected on his behalf to go to bigger clubs. He does the kind of Robin Hood celebration when he scores. Kind of he's our guy. <laughs> um and he's so young as well and he's had such a good season. The kind of pride and happiness that it was him scoring that goal for us, uh, I think was something really special as well. I like what you said about obviously the the kind of the loyalty aspect of him staying when hypothetically he could make a move to a quote unquote bigger club. But I do I think there's definitely an argument that, you know, where he is right now is really good for him in his development. And, you know, I'm right in saying he's in the Welsh World Cup squad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So with with the potential of, you know, being in that World Cup squad this summer and really probably being the second most exciting player in that Welsh squad behind Gareth Bale, with all due yeah. respect to the rest of the people in that squad, it takes a special talent to be drawing significant Premier League interest from the championship. Like, it really does. There's been lots of unbelievably talented championship players who haven't been able to transfer it to the Premier League. And I, I love the guy, but I think of Alexander Mitrovic at Fulham, for one, who's had incredible seasons in the championship. And again, he's going to get a chance again this year to really do it at the highest level in the Premier League, but it's never quite worked for him. But with someone as young as Brennan Johnson, you just kind of, you see he's got the world at his feet and you really do think that he could really be one of the real breakout stars of this this Forest season in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. And we've we've signed Nico Williams, so he's going to get to do that kind of, that Welsh link up there. Like I said, my dad is Welsh, so I've kind of a big, a big soft spot for the Welsh team. Yeah, I think you're so right. He's going to be playing first team football and rather than kind of warming the bench as he would be in, in, in a lot of the places that offered for him. And and yeah, it's it's really it's really exciting to have that kind of personal connection of kind of being Welsh, being from Nottingham, playing for my club. I, I kind of I, I love that for him. And I mean, he hasn't proven himself in the in the Premier League yet, but he he did score twice, I think, for Wales in the last international break, which is fantastic at his age. I think the World Cup could be very exciting for Wales. Are you at all worried that he might be uh, influenced into becoming a TikTok star by Jesse Lingard? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. That, what that, that was would a look far like. more pensive thought than I than I was expecting. <laughs> well, like, he's that bit younger that I think he'd it would he'd be able to do it in a not cringy way. I don't know. Like it's okay, actually yeah, it yeah, would yeah. be age appropriate, right? He's in he's yeah. twenty one, twenty. So it, he is a Gen Z. Whereas when Jesse Lingard's doing it, you're kind of like mm, I don't oh, I don't know if this quite works. I get the same thing. The England women's team love. A TikTok, some of them, the dances specifically. I can't, I can't, I can't watch them. It's too much. <laughs> well, we'll hope that um, Brennan Brennan only takes the positive influences from Jesse. I guess we'll hope that that uh, is that hope. I mean, I I think the two of them together could be a you know a real part of a real exciting Forest uh, Forest attack in the Premier League this year. And so we'll wish Forest well. I, I guess you know Annie. I, I have to ask you know, are we feeling positive? Obviously, anything seventeenth and above is a huge success. To be frank, mm-hmm. but do we do we have that belief? I know that Forest have had difficulties getting back to the Premier League, but do we do we believe strongly that this could be more than just a, a one and done? So I don't know if you've seen, but um, so Forest are two hundred to, to one for top four finish, and seventeen percent <laughs> of people on Betfair have put their money on that. It's like the most Stick popular. It's the most popular yeah. bet. Yeah. Um, 
yeah people keep talking about project europa league <laughs> uh, which is definitely <laughs> definitely getting ahead of ourselves but yeah i'm kind of quietly confident that we could just hang on do you know what i mean i think maybe leeds is a good is a good example oh, they've really hit the ground running i think if we manage that then that would be fantastic but as the playoff team it's kind of like last one up first one down often isn't it but the way that we've spent our summer and it's not I know we spent a lot of money, but it feels like a lot of wise money. I think I, we haven't been particularly sentimental in terms of paying above the odds for the lone players that got us here. And they've they've gone out and found like-for-like like players for better value with probably better experience. And that, I I really like that approach. I think our, I don't know, I think is, he, is he director of football? Is he Dane Simpson, Sampson, American guy in his 30s? He seems to have brought kind of a lot of wisdom to our sort of transfer approach that has been so sorely missing in my time as a Forest fan um and yeah I'm really excited to see what this kind of very new newly put together team can do okay so on to goal number four and this is really where it gets interesting because this Annie is a game that you actually played in yourself mm-hmm. and there's a lot there's a lot to say about this so let's let's start just give people the background first and foremost so this is Clapton Community Football Club CCFC from here on out against Haringey Borough in the second qualifying round of the Vitality Women's FA Cup 2021-2022 Annie playing for Clapton here and Clapton are two divisions below Haringey Borough and Haringey Borough themselves certainly on the men's team have caused some FA Cup upsets in the past and been been successful on a genuine national scale. So this is a this is a big club in Haringey Borough and Clapton Community FC arrived to Haringey and upset them six three, a big upset which obviously you had a huge hand in. And we're going to get through all the experiences of playing in this in just one second. And the goal itself is from Marta Boyro and puts Clapton four 0 up after just forty one minutes against the team two divisions above them. So clearly the bookies had this one completely marked out wrong. This is a free kick. This is our second free kick on the list, which I did think was an interesting uh, kind of out of five goals, two free kicks. So yeah, Annie, talk us through the goal itself and then we'll uh, we'll get to the rest of the day and the experience as we go. So it's definitely all a bit of a blur because obviously I was playing <laughs> and I've watched the highlights a few times because as you mentioned, I did score a goal. So I, I've mostly watched that bit. Yeah, so, this is, so um, before you even go any further, we should say that Annie has been very humble here in not picking her own goal that put and sorry her own goal not an own goal her <laughs> own goal that put CCFC one nil up in this game but Annie instead has gone for Marta's goal which put them four nil up so Annie why why not yours and why this free kick instead I think my goal I think it was made it was probably in the first it was 15 minutes in and it was like a relief but it wasn't okay yeah we're doing this and you, when you go and play a team two leagues above you in the FA Cup you're thinking uh Let's just see what what we can give it. And you could see them really underestimating us. And there were a lot of jitters. We were playing on one of those 4G pitches that is a lot bigger than your average kind of grass pitch. The weather was insane. It was like bright sunshine as we were warming up. As soon as the whistle went to kick off, it was lashing down with rain. It was just, there were so many kind of unknowns about the situation. So that first goal was a relief, but it was kind of like, okay, let's not, this could just be a flash in the pan before they really turn it on. And then when a a free kick goes in to go 4-0 up, (laughs) <laughs> before half time kind of in front of a and, and 
Clapton CFC is a very cl- a special club that I am so privileged to play for because we get great support. We get great support. We're in the seventh tier of women's football, so it's it's amateur hour. Yeah, our fans come and they sing from start to finish, and it is honestly it's a dream for <laughs> any amateur footballer's dream. Um, and so to do that in front of a, a Clapton crowd in in full voice was amazing. And it, this was just before half time. People always talk about bend it like Boyro because the girl can hit a ball. Oh my days. Um, the things I've seen her do, she scored from a corner maybe three times this season, which is pretty special. She can, and I actually spoke to her recently being like, where do you look when you kick a ball? Where do you look in the goal? And she's like, oh, I don't look at the goal. I look at the ball. <laughs> and she picks a spot on the ball, which I don't know if that's common practice amongst ballers, but yeah, she's unbelievable. And it was just such a special moment to be like, right, let's do this. It then went on to be 6-3 because we did kind of, we kind of messed up a little bit in the second half, but that's fine. <laughs> six three is six three. Yeah, just because four 0 becomes six three doesn't make it a bad day out by any means. No, no. Um, speaking as someone who you know was an amateur footballer and you know not not a very high level, played at college in the states, which I was very very lucky to do, but was by no means the star player in that setup. I have incredible jealousy to the fact that you can just say I've played in the in the FA Cup. I mean that's incredible. I mean you know for people around the world, the FA Cup is is such a special competition being the oldest recorded tournament in, in kind of football history. Um, and for you to be able to say that you're, you know, a part of that heritage, that must feel really, really special. Yeah, it was really special. And this, the reason I picked this goal and this game, I was kind of, was because it kickstarted the best journey in football I've ever had, um, which is that we got, we eventually got to the third round proper. Um, and we were the first team from the, we were the lowest ranked team to ever do that. We were the first team to beat a team three divisions higher than them. It was a fairy tale journey. And now I couldn't pick many later goals because we didn't score many. We ground out a few draws <laughs> and had <laughs> some outstanding penalty shootouts. Um, because I did want to, I did want to submit a penalty shootout for this one, but now I know it would have been against the rules. So some really fantastic penalty shootout moments. And um, we beat Hounslow, who were a fourth tier team at their ground on a freezing cold night and it was yeah nil nil all game extra time and then penalty shootout and again this was this was a penalty shootout save that would have been my moment because our goalkeeper Polly who is far too good for us but unfortunately well fortunately loves the beers way too much to have ever <laughs> to have ever pursued anything more professional um which I think she could have oh maybe still good she pulled out penalty saves in I think every shootout I think we did three shootouts before we eventually got knocked out by Plymouth Argyle um, in the in the third round proper, yeah, and she saved that final penalty. And we're obviously, running from the from the centre line to kind of embrace your team, a whole crowd of I think there was there was a thousand people came through the, the gate that day. They all pitch invaded. I had my family in my arms. It was absolutely incredible. And that Marta Boiro goal was the kind of first moment in that run that was like, yeah, let's go, let's do this. And then we kept having those moments. We kept having those moments. Every time we kind of sat on a Monday waiting for the draw to come through on the FA website and we saw who we were playing and we were like, hang on a minute, we can do this. Let's go do this. And those moments just kept happening and kept happening. And yeah, it was just unbelievable. You listeners can't hear this, but I'm genuinely teary I listen to that because it's just honestly incredible. Such a great story. I love it. And I'm so, so, so glad not just to have you on as a guest here, Annie, but that this is one of the goals you picked because to see this footage and see what it looks like, just incredible. And I'm so glad that people from legitimately other parts of the world, you know, 
people in America are going to hear this. People elsewhere in the world are going to hear this. And I'm so glad that they're going to be able to see what amateur towards semi-professional football in the UK for, for young women looks like. Because it's just, it's just fantastic to be able to share this with them. As ever, I've missed the opportunity to say that all of the goals, all video links to all of the goals in this podcast are in the description of this podcast, including Marta Boyer's free kick, which we're going to talk about here now. Um, but I would encourage you to watch the full highlights video of this game, including to see Annie uh, score the opening goal, because that's you know obviously a huge part of this story. There's a slight similarity to the, to the Ronaldinho goal here, obviously, mm-hmm. in terms of where the free kick was taken from. Um, though it does go in kind of the other side of the goal. In this case, the goalkeeper is kind of beaten at her near post. And I think it's it's as much as anything, it's the, the height and the dip that she manages to get on the ball that really beats the goalkeeper here. She's not quite able to keep it out. But the celebrations are just fantastic to see. And you can just see being 4-0 up at that time must have felt, you know, obviously you said we're doing this, but it must have, I think even in your wildest dreams pregame, you couldn't have imagined that after 40 minutes it would be 4-0. No, not at all. And I invited people to come watch me in that game and just said, oh, don't expect anything. We were, yeah, we didn't we didn't imagine it at all. And you always know when the ball goes to Marta for a set piece that something incredible could happen. It was just amazing. And I love those girls I play fo- football with. And that FA Cup run brought us so much closer together. But you can see the kind of level of love we have for each other in those celebrations just in that first game. So you can imagine how it would have been three, four rounds through having gone through all those qualifying rounds. And by the time we got to the third round proper, we'd played the most games in the FA Cup out of anyone in the competition because everybody else ended in later because they're proper football teams. <laughs> not that we're not, but you know what I mean? And you we are. Would, if you are playing for Mathago, you're a proper football team. Yeah, well, yeah. It was just, it was so special. And, and goals came from different people. Unexpected goal from from a stocky centre back such as myself, um, and um, which actually my dad texted me maybe a month after I scored that, being like, "Just been watching the uh, Harringay Borough highlights again. Are you sure that actually came off you? <laughs> which is just what you want your dad to be doing with his Wednesdays, because um, like, I mean it wasn't a fantastic goal, but yeah, it's, it was just kind of we shared in this amazing experience together, and it was so good. And the pub afterwards was fantastic too. We're going to make sure that your social media and I'm going to make sure the Clapton Community FC social media is in the description for people to, to follow along if they so choose. How are you prepping for, for the new season? I, I feel like I have to ask. And how, how are you feeling heading into the 2022-23 campaign? Are we, are we going on a cup run again? Well, we're entered in. We got promoted at the end of the season. So we're now in the sixth tier and pre-season starts this week. So back on it played a kind of small kind of casual tournament at the weekend and I've been sadly reminded that like you get worse at football if you don't practice <laughs> so I'm um, getting ready I'm getting ready to kind of start practicing hardcore I mean it's always it's always hard with amateur football people have commitments all over the place and the cup run did it was really intense we played so many games last season because we stayed in the FA Cup for so long we got to the final of the two kind of local cups and so we were all pretty exhausted by the end of the league. We kind of, we kind of have been brought so much closer together, but we were sick of each other too. <laughs> and, every, and every Sunday having to be on that pitch. And it's going to be so nice getting back together after a bit of time off and starting again and having some new players and kind of a different shape and, 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 and seeing what the season can bring. And yeah, I want to attack the cup. And yeah, I want to get promoted. I want to do back-to-back promotions. Hopefully kind of have some real good times along the way. Well, fingers crossed for you. We'll be cheering for you. We can get the, the Clapton community a fan base over here in America as well. We'll see if we can make that work. And we've got a new home 100%. shirt as well. So if anyone is taken by ah. the Clapton community story, if when you start kind of looking us up online, that'll be released soon. 
great. Well, yeah, I'm sure we can find a way to get... Will, will they ship internationally is really the key thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so our captain kind of got quite big because our away shirt is a... Um, it commemorates people that went and fought in the in the Spanish Civil War because it's an anti-fascist club and they've sold thousands of that shirt all over the place. I went to a festival in Barcelona and I saw two people wearing it. Um, so, yeah, they, they ship. <laughs> Beautiful story. Well, good. Support Clapton Community FC and uh, cheer for Annie when you get the chance. Yeah, please do. Cut back towards Russo is waiting in the middle. Hemp to go backwards again Walsh looking to plot away through his hemp chipped into the danger area Russo got it and England are level Ella Toon strikes to get England out of jail you couldn't see it coming but it has come okay so fifth and final goal now and he nearly given us your full, complete set. And this one is by far the most recent one, mm-hmm. uh, taking place a mere six days ago, I think, <laughs> right, six, five or six days ago. Um, and we are headed to uh, the Women's Euro 2020 quarterfinal between England and Spain. And this is Ella Toon's equaliser for England in the 84th minute to bring them back level against Spain, who had previously taken the lead and what would have been an upset, as England were definitely favoured as the home team in this quarterfinal. Yeah, Annie, I think you told me you were in attendance for this one as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This, this, was, <laughs> this was amazing. Um, so this was not the best goal in the game. And if anyone no. followed the game, Georgia Stanway scored an absolute belter. And I was thinking about putting it in. But again, I'm all about the moments. And this was the tension leading up to this. Because we were stood in the ground thinking, 1-0 down. The end's approaching. This can't be it. (laughs) This is the tournament we've all been waiting for. This is the tournament that was going to elevate women's football in this country. There's so much. I feel so much for these players because there's so much riding on it because it's not just about kind of making the most of your career. It's about, okay, the longer we stay in this tournament, the more these games will be on TV, the more interest there'll be, the more young girls there are watching it. There's more people that start taking an interest, the more the game gets elevated. And you feel that as 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 someone who's really invested in women's football. So you want to nil down and you're thinking, surely not, not in the quarterfinals. And I'm so invested in Serena Wiegmann as a as a manager as well. She, I think she's shaped the, the squad fantastically in a way that Phil Neville, I was about to say no disrespect to him, but actually I'm very happy to disrespect him. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't, I think he used the team as a bit of a stepping stone for his own career. And I don't yep. I think he was a bit clueless. And it's been such a relief to have such a competent, fantastic manager. And I just couldn't have it have the record be that she got out of the quarterfinals after he reached the semi at the World Cups and Mark Sampson reached semis. And I just, it was just so tense. And then in comes Ella Toon. And I mean, I'm a big fan of Ella Toon. First of all, the lashes. I think there has to be space in football for all types of eyelashes and all types of people. And I think sometimes if you want to get a job done, you've got to get a hun on the pitch. And she is an absolute hun. And yeah, it was just incredible. And also she's got the chant. I think that that there is kind of, because women's football is newer, the crowds are fresher. There's a kind of, there is a lack of those songs or those moments. And when Toon comes on and the whole ground starts going, Toon, it's just special. And yeah, it was unbelievable. There was kind of beers flying. Again, the security is so much worse at women's football. It's amazing. <laughs> there was beers flying. <laughs> there was people falling on the floor. It was Amazing. I've never, ever experienced an atmosphere like it at a women's game. 
and it was exactly what it should be and then it turned it around and we won <laughs> you said it wasn't the best goal in this game and, I, and you're, you're right 100% George Stanway's winner was an incredible goal but I also think you made completely the right decision in choosing this one for the list because in terms of the moment of relief the we're still alive moment can be better than the we have won moment you know mm-hmm. yeah that, the last minute equalizer that leads to the eventual winner that equalizer is without you can't win without that equalizer no and so a hundred percent i'm i was sat right here in my front room espn2 on the tv i'm sat here on my own you know thinking oh, i really really thought that there was a good chance they'd be able to win this tournament you know the groundswell of support that we've seen in the uk you know i'm i'm really sad that i'm not there in person in the best way possible it's great that mates of mine are sending texts in group chats that I'm in saying, hey, what are we doing for the semi-final on Tuesday? That's a huge step forward. I don't, and it does, it's not meant to sound disrespectful or belittling, but it's a huge, huge thing that those fans who would not necessarily always have been interested in the women's game are taking a huge you know, part in this tournament. And it's credit to the players for the successes that they've had. And obviously, Ella Toon's goal here is a huge part of that. I, I can only imagine the, the explosion of emotion when that ball hits the net. It's a wonderful goal, and I, I kind of like it even more for the fact that the Spanish were so upset about it. And this is not <laughs> against the Spanish, but the fact that they were all complaining about Alicia Russo's head down, the tune eventually finished off. To be honest, the fact that there is a little bit of controversy about it, I, I enjoy it more. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten that there was kind of those shouts for VAR and things like that. And them all just kind of walking around with their hands in the air, kind of like, no, surely not. And it was, yeah, I mean, I like the Spanish team. I think they're stacked full of great players. But oh, I, was, yeah. no, I sure. was so fully from my chest being like, shut up. Like, <laughs> I, I had completely lost all decorum in those stands. And the most that was the, the most thing you've ever been. Oh, yeah, the most. I was, I was disgusting, Callum. Yeah, and I was on that end as well. I think that's another reason that I picked it. I was behind that goal. There's quite a funny, some quite funny stills of me and my friend who I stood next to got captured by the cameras. And she's hands in the air. This is when we're at 2-1 up, actually. Um, she's hands in the air because she spotted herself, like, waving. And you have never seen a more miserable-looking person in your life than me because I was still so tense. I look a bit like, who's who's dragged me here to watch this football match? Because actually what I was doing, I was glaring at the referee. I was glaring at the Spanish players. Just Blow thinking, the whistle. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> don't ruin the dream. Um, and, yeah, and just like being that close, kind of, I think we're maybe eight, nine rows back from this moment. It was unbelievable. I want to talk about the tournament on the whole as well, just briefly, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of kind of what your experience has been over the last few weeks. We're getting towards a month of the tournament now. I believe you were there for the opening game as well at Old Trafford. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is obviously, you know, as as near to a sellout as I've ever seen for for a women's game at Old Trafford. What was that experience like? And do you think that that kind of is going to become the benchmark for what we can expect for England's women's games around the UK? I really hope so. And I think there's just, like I say, it's finding the right stadium to put them in and drumming up the support. Um, That was amazing. And it feels like two years ago, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, And like women's Euros are shorter than the men's ones because it's a 16 game format. I like it's much neater when it comes to kind of quarterfinals and things. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Whereas this was good. I think the atmosphere was feral. (laughs) It was crazy because it was just so much excitement games have far more kids at them which on the one hand is fantastic it's great to kind of give kids access to this thing 
On the other hand, you kind of want some 18 plus stands so that you can have no Mexican waves and um, yeah, and a kind of a bit more, a bit more of a kind of. I don't know, grown-up grown atmosphere. So I'm kind of in two minds about that one. I think it's good that kids are there, but I also sometimes want to, I want a bit of, I want it to be a bit more grown-up. The atmosphere was crazy. It was just like screaming. It was, it was great. And you can see why England played so shakily because it was just the kind of, the ground was tremoring. That ground will have been full of, full of people that had never seen a women's football match before and and hopefully they'll be going back and and that's what I've been hearing I've been hearing kind of my parents friends trying to get tickets for things or kind of on the day that I went to that game I was working in my my work as an officer in Manchester and all the people that are in there were kind of saying oh I've got tickets or oh, I wish I got tickets and all this stuff and I think it's it has really kind of it's set a bit of a tone which is great I can totally understand the idea that uh, building that atmosphere you want it to be inclusive but equally you also want a little bit of section where maybe there aren't kids. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you can say a slightly more strong version of a particular word that you want to, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I can understand. I think they could definitely find a way to have, you know, a family stand like they do at a lot of grounds and, and yeah. like that, a family section where if you are with people under the age of 18 or whatever, then you could, you could take them there. Uh, Mexican wave thing is something that I find really, really, really interesting. And so, so firstly, over here in the States, generally at sporting events, like Mexican waves happen all the time. And interestingly enough, they just call it the wave. They don't specify that it's Mexican. I don't, I'm not sure particularly why, but just an interesting side aside there. A lot of baseball games you go to, you see them, and maybe that's because baseball is a little bit boring. But I, I do find it crazy to see them at you know international women's games. And I, I do, 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 you, do you, I'm assuming you get annoyed by them. So I am into really two minds about this. So I've got a good friend, Becky Taylor-Gill, who runs Studs, which is kind of a great platform for women's football culture. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and she is very thoroughly anti-Mexican wave. And I'm very much like, I think as women and people that are generally excluded from football, we're told how you should be a football fan. And that's usually you're never going to achieve it because you're never going to you're never going to be a white man. Very anti anything that like tells fans how to behave because it's your it's our space let's do what we want with it but I think but then also Mexican waves are really annoying <laughs> um, and I think one thing that I think it's a symptom of is not segregating fans and they never segregate fans in women's football and again that just takes away atmosphere and I I, I don't want animosity but I, it, it's fun to have that kind of back and forth between two sets of fans and Mexican waves always happen because of that and I think it's also something about like the distraction from the game a little bit which again, like it's, I actually just think it's fine if you're a seven-year-old and you don't care what's happening on the pitch, but you're enjoying the atmosphere. Like that's cool. But also, it is just really funny to hate on a Mexican wave. I'm a long way away from it, but it feels to me like the changes that have happened this summer with this tournament have been hugely positive, and that it has been on BBC One, correct, for the mm-hmm. games and some of the other games. And you know, that is that's a big deal to have those games not on BBC Three not behind a cable or a free view paywall, you know, to have them front and center broadcast to the nation and, and, and finding, you know, a real groundswell of support for the team. Yeah. I mean, and it's fantastic. And that game, 120 minutes, no wave. <laughs> um, no. Um, no wave. Um, and they delayed the news for, for the, the game this time. And if you told us that kind of in, when was it? 2019 at the last big tournament, I don't know if you believed it. Um, and yeah, it's just fantastic. And I think my one thing is they're doing kind of a, a government review of women's football at the moment in the same way that they did with the kind of Tracy Crouch report for the men's. And if I could get on that policy team, 
the one thing I would say is let women's football fans drink in the stadium. <laughs> Not that alcohol is a be all and end all, but men's football fans can't drink in the stadiums because they ruined it for themselves. <laughs> We've never ruined it. And I do think that is something else. <laughs> like yeah. rugby fans get to do it. Cricket fans get to do it, which in itself is a whole classed thing. And, and let's not get into that. But I just think, again, let's, let's, let's up the party and uh, a bit more booze. No less kids, just kind of segregated kids. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll kind of keep that atmosphere building in the way it was on, um, on last week. Yeah, I mean, totally, totally right in that you've not done anything to, or women's football fans have not done anything to ban themselves from having a good time. You know, there's, mm. <laughs> there's, not, been a, there's not been any negative incidents that really should have stopped them from enjoying themselves with a beer if they choose to. And just something you mentioned earlier that I did just want to give you the opportunity to kind of plug and chat about because I, I think, you know, what they're doing is, is fantastic and really interesting. I just wanted you to kind of tell the world about studs for a couple of minutes and kind of what they're, uh, what they're doing and what you're involved with there. Yeah, so I'm just kind of a number one fan of what studs do because I think uh, they're run by a few friends of mine and they've been working on it since 2019, uh, kind of leading up to the, the Women's World Cup then. And it's 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 again playing into that thing of not telling a fan how they can be a fa- should be a fan. It's about women's football culture in the broadest sense and enjoying the gossip because that's something that men's football doesn't get to enjoy in the same way. Like we have players dating each other. We have exes on the pitch. That is fun. And there are some purists out there that will say, oh, you should focus on the football. You're devaluing the game. And it's like, nah, I'm going to enjoy women's football in the exact way that I want to enjoy it. And like this tournament has been uh, an international tournament and Love Island mixed into one for me. <laughs> seeing clashes of exes, seeing kind of my, like the, we talk about Girlfriend FC, which is when like one, uh, one team's, one team gets knocked out and then, then they start wearing the the shirt of their of their girlfriend that's got into the got into the knockout stages and it's just adorable and like that's kind of that's what studs is promoting and bringing women together and just enjoying football in a space where there's no silly rules about what you can and can't say and what you can and can't ask about about like about for example no one's going to say do you know the offside rule which as a woman and a football fan, you get asked all the time, or, oh, oh, you're wearing that shirt of that team. Can you name their starting 11? Things like that, which that's just, it's kind of the space for people that's like, well, actually, I, I'm a vibes fan. I like I like enjoying a big tournament and then I don't check in for the rest of the year. And that's absolutely fine because I'm going to enjoy football on my own terms. Um, and, and Studs run a fantastic tournament on at the weekend with Adidas and just brought loads of women together. And I was playing in this yesterday, brought loads of women together with all different abilities all different backgrounds, some people that had never played football before gave them full kit and just allowed them to play. And it's that kind of that kind of ethos of everyone's invited and let's just let's just enjoy football and take the seriousness out of it. So if anyone if that sounds like the way you want to enjoy football, I would I would check out studs on Instagram. Yeah, so it's underscore it's at underscore underscore studs on Instagram. Um there's some fantastic stuff on there, including the wonderful It's Coming Homo t shirt, which is one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. It's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, please, please follow and support people and groups and uh, communities that are helping to grow the women's game because it is really, really important. And they're doing some wonderful stuff with studs. Uh- All right, Annie, those are your five goals. So yeah, I guess just by way of a recap, and then we'll just quickly get a couple of closing remarks. Um, we obviously started with Ronaldinho. We also had Maria Torres Tortilla, Brennan Johnson, uh, Marta Boiro, and then we finished with Ella Toon. 
uh, with England. And I guess just briefly, we should just ask, um, with the Sweden semi-final coming up on Tuesday, and by the time this is out, I think the tournament will will be over. Um, mm-hmm. Is it is it coming home? Is it coming home? Are it's, we are we feeling confident? It's coming home. I'm feeling very confident. I think we're going to beat Sweden, uh, yeah. and then I think we're going to have an incredibly tough final against. I'm hoping France because uh, I think their team are incredible, and I'd love to see them in the final. And then I'm going to be dancing on the tables at Wembley Box Park with. It having come home. <laughs> Have you got tickets for Box Park already? They don't ticket it for women's events because there's ah. so many kids. Um, but I'm going tomorrow to, this is going to be one of the first England games I've not been to the stands for. I'm going to be going to Shoreditch Box Park. I'd never do that for a men's game because I think the atmosphere is a bit nuts and a bit unwelcoming. Whereas I think it's going to be nice. I think you'll be completely proven correct that it will be a wonderful atmosphere. And you know, credit to them for putting on those events. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. By the time this comes out, uh, England have won the Women's Euros and it and it's come home. I'll leave a little gap here and maybe I'll interject the actual outcome just here. <laughs> Hello there. This is Callum coming to you from the future with a very quick update. Thank you so much to the England women's team and Serena Wiegmann. I've barely stopped crying. Football came home. It was absolutely beautiful. And I can pretty much guarantee that had we recorded this episode about a week later, Annie would most definitely have chosen either or both of Ella Toon or Chloe Kelly's goals in the final that secured the European Championship for England women. Absolutely fantastic start to finish. So happy to be able to say that football came home. Back to the podcast. Cheers. So maybe it did come out. Maybe it didn't. We don't know. We hope so. I think there would be a wonderful poetry to the England women's team finally ending our long national heartbreak of a lack of international success. I think that would be a wonderful thing and really good for the game in our country. So fingers crossed. Last thing, Annie, is really just to say, I know you touched on a couple earlier, but were there any goals that didn't quite make your list that you'd like to give a special shout out to as ones that were near misses or honourable mentions, if that makes sense? So I've mentioned a couple, so I, and and I won't I won't bring them up again. The first thing that popped into my mind just then was Verity Phillips. I hope she listens to this scoring for Clapton FC, CFC. She's played since pretty much Clapton began. Never scored a goal. Lovely right back, and I play on the right back as centre back. So we've kind of got a partnership, and me and her have a bit of a competition going about flying in on corners because we're so desperate to score goals because the opportunities don't come often. And she scored a goal in a cup semi final this year, and I have never seen someone celebrate so excitedly with her. She looked like she was going to eat someone. <laughs> she was absolutely insane. And yeah, that was just, there's just nothing like seeing one of your best mates score a goal, is there? No, spot on. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, hopefully hopefully Verity does listen to this and maybe we can have her on as a guest in the future and see if she picks her own goal. You know, that would be that would be fantastic. Annie, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing your Desert Island goals with us. This has been wonderful. We, as I said, we'll make sure that Annie's social medias, if that's okay with you, mm-hmm. are in the description and you can follow Annie and follow Clapton uh, should you wish to. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. Annie, again, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks so much, Carl. I've had a great time. Great. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see you again very soon. This has been Desert Island Goals. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.